the raging battle over union bargaining. And John Kasich is still mad about a ticket he got three years ago. From the Patel studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, host of All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Julie Carr Smythe, Statehouse correspondent for the Associated Press. Dale Butland, Democratic strategist. And Mary Ann Sharkey, public affairs consultant. The battle over public employee union collective bargaining raged this week at the State House. Hundreds, if not thousands, of union members converged to loudly protest a bill that would eliminate collective bargaining for state employees and limit it for local government employees. They accused Republicans of trying to balance the state budget on the backs of the middle class. A smaller but still significant group of Tea Party activists countered the protest by saying, Reducing union influence is the way to rein in state spending. Julie Carr-Smythe, did all these protests, all of those people showing up at the State House, any influence on state lawmakers? I actually think that uh, it will not have a huge impact. I think they expected that this would happen. Uh, They were well prepared with the uh, security and that kind of thing to keep the, the shouting down away from the hearing. However, I do think that uh, Senator Shannon Jones is looking to some changes in the bill because her own caucus, the Republican caucus, has some members who are uh, still on the fence and think that it's gone too far. Did they expect 3,500? That was one estimate I saw. 3,500 union protesters? I think, actually, uh, when you're looking at what's going on in Wisconsin, the Ohio crowds have still been pretty small. Uh, They are clogging the halls over there, but um, it's been... uh, pretty peaceful and pretty uh, uh, expected. I think you should stay tuned. I have, uh, I have reason to believe that next week uh, the protesters are going to be much, much larger than they were this week. But I think it's important that we point something else out here. One of the reasons this is such a pitch battle is not just because this is unions versus non-union people. A lot of these folks, and let's face it, these, the, the, these are not some alien race that uh, has somehow been planted in Ohio. These are our friends and neighbors. These are people who teach our children, cops who keep us safe, firefighters who run into burning buildings when everybody else is running out. They think they're being scapegoated for a national recession that they had nothing to do with. But even more importantly, they view this as a full-scale assault on the middle class in this country. Marianne, could it backfire on Republicans in that it galvanizes union support against Republicans? Yeah, I think it actually has the real danger of doing that. I mean, I do think you have to, as Dale said, I agree. I mean, you have to be very careful. These are people who are firefighters. These are teachers. These are people, you know, I mean, I have relatives, family members who are who belong to uh, public uh, unions. And um, I don't think we can turn this into an immigrant battle or the old welfare queens or, or you know, back in the 70s, student protesters. I and mean, we're getting into a real danger of, of making... Um, you know, the, the people who serve the public into, uh, into being villains. And it's, it's a mistake for Republicans to do that. It's a mistake to take, <coughs> you know, a meat axe to the collective bargaining bill. Maybe there sh- could be some fine-tuning. May- probably should be some, but not this. Well, there probably will be. I mean, they already have people like Senator Bill Seitz of Cincinnati saying, 
he doesn't call it a bridge to nowhere. What is he calls it a bridge too far, too much power to the management, that sort of thing. So it's highly unlikely that it won't get tempered in the Senate. But will it get tempered enough to suit, you know, the different factions on both sides of, I, of the question? Yeah, but, you know, it, it's important, again, to keep in mind, this is not, despite what Mr. Kasich and his Republican allies say, this is not about balance in the budget in Ohio. Because you, uh, you, you look at everything, every part of collective bargaining. You could eliminate the step increases for teachers, eliminate the sick days and all the rest. It's a drop in the bucket to an $8 billion deficit. But it, the perks symbolize what could be described as a bloated government when the, when the pensions are generous and there are automatic pay increases for education levels with something that doesn't necessarily automatically happen in the private sector. So they're sector. symbolic. So they run the, the thing of what Mary, Mary Ann said is they run the risk of uh, galvanizing and also they're only symbolic. They can't show, it. will they be able to use, you know, the well, numbers I, in the I, end? I think in many ways what you hear them saying is they're, they're going to cut the local government fund. So they're looking at this as a way to help local government, whether the mayors and the school boards are in there asking for it or not. Um, that, is, that is, you know, ostensibly also, the reason why they're doing right. this. Whether that works or not is Except for this. Issue. I don't buy this for a minute. If they were really concerned about the local governments, they wouldn't then, in the next breath, be talking about repealing the estate tax, 80% of the revenues of which go to local governments. Yeah, I think and that it's a suburban <laughs> government scale, which right. is which is even more interesting more because so. because right. truly the Republicans who are going to get hurt or the you know suburban communities going to get hurt a lot more than Cleveland or Columbus are. And I think it's pretty clear that the contracts that are in place right now, particularly you know including the state contracts, are not going to expire in any kind of timely fashion to make that it possible to balance this budget or even, as Dale says, not balance the $8 billion, but even to address the budget gap. Does anyone here, other than me, look at this and think about, for example, on November 3rd, Mr. Kasich told the Inquirer of Cincinnati, he said, maybe the teachers ought to take out a full-page ad apologizing to me for what they said about me during the campaign. Does anybody think that this may be political payback in some ways for people who, in exercising their democratic right to vote, may have had the gall to vote, vote the wrong way, and now he's going to get them for it? Well, it leads me to another question. Republicans have always taken on the teachers' unions. That's been standard for many Republicans. But now they're going after police officers and firefighters and other state workers you know, sanitation workers, stuff like that. Any chance that that, that, all, that you're crossing into another union even, line there? And even Scott Walker in, in Wisconsin carved out firefighters who I think have been generous to his campaign and supported him. Ten years ago, they were the heroes of our world. Yeah. And now they're, you know, they're well, ripping us off. Well, if you want to talk about the Republican issue, I mean, they always get endorsed by the FLP, right. the biggest union that's, yeah. re that's out there protesting. And there was an so interesting... So that's why you have Republican senators. You're going to have some of them off the reservation. You have someone like Tom Patton, from Cleveland, who is actually a union leader. So you're going to see some of right. so, some defection in the Republican And ranks. remember, too, that what they're talking about doing, getting rid of arbitration for contract disputes between public safety employees and uh, local governments, only 2% of contract disputes ever go to arbitration. And when they do go to arbitration, the average award is 2%. So we're not talking about, again, we're not talking about balancing the budget here. But, but they say the threat... <laughs> of arbitration often causes cities bully, to concede. Yeah. Okay. Right in the middle of this fight, Governor Kasich is taking heat for comments he made to workers at the state EPA last month. Kasich was urging staffers there to treat the public with respect, and he used a 2008 traffic stop as an example. I had this idiot pull me over on 315. Listen to this story. He says to me, he says, uh, 
He says, you, you passed this emergency vehicle on the side of the road and you didn't yield. He said, I didn't. Officer, I, I, what, are you, what are you kidding? I didn't, I didn't see any. I didn't even see the, where the heck was it? And the last thing I would ever do would be to pass an emergency. Are you kidding me? He says, well, I understand that. Give me your license. Goes back to the car, comes back, gives me a ticket, says, you must uh, uh, report to court. If you don't report to court, we're putting a warrant out for your arrest. He's an idiot. We just can't act that way. And what people resent are people who are in the government who don't treat the client with respect. Maybe that's another thing we have to think about, right? And Fisher, John Kasich personally apologized to the officers and said he has the deepest respect for law enforcement. End of story? Well, it took him a little while to apologize, by the way, but I have three things. Something I've learned in the last year and a half, you can't say just anything on radio and television. And you shouldn't say just anything when you're a new governor in mixed company of an entire state government agency that's threatened with layoffs and all kinds of things. Number two, even if he hadn't resorted to the name calling over and over and over again, seriously, you're picking on a cop. I mean, you're already trying to take away their collective bargaining abilities and that sort of thing. But a cop that's just doing his job, uh, was he suggesting to these state employees that they not do their jobs? And finally, to pick that example makes you wonder really where he's been for the last five or ten years because the the issue of yielding to emergency vehicles on the sides of you know on the berms of, of state highways and, and and that that's that's been a big issue in the state. There's been some horrible tragic uh, accidents, and you have to wonder if he's even been paying attention to that. So just on many levels, it was wrong. Yeah, and the um, mother of uh, the man who was killed, boy who was killed. Who, uh, who was a police officer was killed on the side of the road? Right, and yeah. that was his. Uh, this law was based on that crash. She has written to him and said she was deeply offended and, and appalled that he would question that law. So I think he said today that he believes uh, he should apologize, and he did apologize, and he's going to keep apologizing. Yeah, no, <laughs> obviously, this was bad judgment. Obviously, this was a bad example for the highest elected official in the state to, to call a police officer an idiot for giving him a ticket for what Mr. Kasich even admits was breaking the law on his part. But I think what's more important here, because this issue maybe should be put to bed now, he's apologized, the apology has been accepted, except for this. There are a lot of people who think that this whole comment here was a window into his soul. A lot of people think, to be blunt, that he's rude, he's arrogant, and he's someone who doesn't believe that the law and the rules ought to apply to him. And whether it's open records laws, whether it is making public the people you're thinking about bringing into state government, or whether it's getting a traffic ticket, uh, Mr. Kasich seems to think that he's sort of above it all. And I is, think that's, that, that's, that's, it, that's what may, may resonate. Was it that or is he maybe, still maybe, mad about the ticket? Which yeah, I think he's still mad know, about yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, I, I think he was. <laughs> I mean, later. one of the things you always tell people yeah, is remember say? you can end up on the front page of the dispatch. You could in the, end up in the news. He forgot. He, he did obviously did not know there was a camera there. That's no excuse. But maybe he should have a beer summit, just like President Obama did at the White House with a Cambridge police officer. I mean, you know, sometimes... Public officials say things without thinking. But here's what, here's what he didn't realize was there. No, no, no. The cell phone <laughs> camera. I'm sure that that was no, a cell phone. Yeah, it camera. was, but the agency yeah. had it piped to other offices. Okay. It was on. It was on state TV. Oh, piped. so there were so official cameras. He knew there, there were oh. official cameras but, there. But I, that particular year. Yeah. So but I'm not. Year. But I'm not sure you can explain this away by saying, "Well, he's still mad about a ticket he got two years ago." Yeah. Because think about what was said here. It wasn't well. well 
I, I didn't break the law. He said, I didn't see the car. But that, you know, you can't say, well, I didn't see the red light officer. I went through. I didn't see the stop sign. Yeah. So in this case, what he was calling him an idiot for was giving him the ticket. Was doing his job. Yeah. Doing his job. Telling him there would be an arrest warrant, which, you know. I mean, he, Which they tell everybody. The lesson? Right. I mean, are you telling people not to do your job or are you telling them not to be grouchy when they do their job? I think it was not be grouchy, but he there have to be a lot of other good examples of grouchy, you know, public employees. I don't think he was being grouchy. He put out a statement that said that the officer right. was yeah. Yeah. completely if professional. The, if you look at the tape, he was complete professional. I want to get back to the personality. He has, John Kasich has been described <laughs> as being blunt and brusque and shooting from the hip. But as we watched the campaign, we didn't see that. Marianne, did, he do a, did they do a nice job uh, of they, keeping him... <laughs> in the ring and not going outside yeah, They did a campaign. very nice job of doing that. I mean, I, 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 I heard complaints all the time from reporters who were on the road with John Kasich that they could not get an unscripted John Kasich. Right. They could not get opportunities to talk to him. And now we know why. Right. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing the reasons why uh, they were so careful in keeping the reporters away from him. Okay, let's get to our third topic. Governor Kasich's quasi-private business development department is now a reality. The program called Jobs Ohio won Senate approval this week and was signed into law. You could say this all happened at the speed of business. The measure seems more palatable to Democrats. That's because the Senate made some changes, the changes that increased transparency in the new agency. Among those changes, it must report how it uses the $1 million in startup money, all expenses must be reported. There are stricter conflict of interest rules, and the law specifically prohibits bribery of Jobs Ohio board members and staff. Dale Butlin, there you go. No more bribery. All your all your concerns are answered. No, no more bribery. Uh, actually, these are all steps in the right direction. I think there are still problems with accountability and transparency. For example. Uh, the jo Jobs Ohio will apparently have be subject will, will construct its own ethics law. Talk about the fox guard and the chicken coop. Uh, the IG, the Inspector General, cannot initiate an investigation. Um, I think that when you have the board of Jobs Ohio, which consists of Mr. Kasich and a lot of business business executives that he appoints, to use public money to pursue business deals without a complete adherence to the open meetings, open records, and ethics laws, I think it's just begging begging for trouble. I think to be fair, though, um, the Department of Development often has has protected information on active negotiations. Uh, I think that that is uh, that was less crucial in terms of those actual deals while they're in progress than some of the things about the open meetings, which they, oops, accidentally forgot to say that they would tell people when those are. So they fixed that in the Senate, and oops, they forgot that they were going to report the travel that was paid for by third parties on their annual report. So the Senate fixed that. So, you know, I think it is a, a stronger bill now. On a lot of Democrats voted for it in the Senate. Yes. Well, and when you whip something through literally and what, two and a half or three days, you'll have a few oops. That happens. Which brings us to the breaking news today. Even as we speak here, there is a breaking story that the guy who was appointed to head Jobs Ohio, whose name is Kwame, he's Mark from, Kwame. he is from California, uh, apparently they're an, under the Ohio Constitution, you cannot be the director of an office, you can't be appointed to an office unless you're a resident of the state of Ohio. Mr. Kwame is still a resident of California. However, he has signed millions of dollars in worth of contracts. Uh, so now the question is whether those contracts are legally valid at this point uh, because he is not a resident of the state.
Julie, you've been working on the story. Is there is there a legitimate concern there? I think that I think that there is. Um, the Legislative Service Commission, which is a nonpartisan uh, entity, put out a memo that basically confirmed what some early uh, critics of Kasich had had said that. Uh, you know, the, the Constitution and an opinion in 1992 of the Attorney General seemed to say that you can't be a cabinet member. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little iffy, but... And Mary, this got to be gone in six months by the time it gets all figured out. Well, yeah. yes, just a few Except more for the months. Contracts. He's a temporary appointment. Yeah. I mean, you can always bring someone else in to sign the papers. He's acting on behalf of the Governor, governor Kasich. Uh, who clearly was elected governor. I mean, I think this is one of these issues that people like to kick around in Columbus. I doubt very seriously this is going to be a big issue for people outside of it. I want to get to the bigger picture here for a second here, Dale. Something uh, John Kasich said to a TV station in Toledo caught our ear this week, where he expressed some regret that Jobs Ohio did not have part ownership in a successful solar panel company. For it? Nothing except we got for, for solar, which is great, and jobs and payroll. But had we been able to get, had, had a private company like a Jobs Ohio, private entity, be able to get 1% ownership, we have so much money that we could use to do things to attract more jobs. Marianne, 1% um, ownership in a successful company sounds great. Yeah. But if we had 1% in Skybus, for instance, the airline that went under, Which that would not happened. be great. <laughs> no, it would not be great. This has been an issue that's also gone on the university level, as you well know, is with, with professors and with researchers on, in terms of their ownership. And it's something the legislature grappled with and, that, and in effect cleared the way for some of these professors and some of these uh, public entities and universities to be able to have some ownership in these things. So th this is an issue that has been debated. But I agree, it could be dangerous ground for, for the public to own private companies. And I think it goes to something else, uh, Mike, just to, just to return for a moment. You talked about moving at the speed of business a m moment ago. The truth is, is that there were questions about the, con the constitutionality of Mr. Kwame's appointment, not just from the Attorney General, the last Attorney General, but Mr. Batchelder, who is a constitutional law. Now, apparently the case administration sort, sort of ignored them and went uh, forward anyway. So my point is, it's all fine and good to move at the speed of business, but when millions of dollars of contracts are at stake, maybe it's a good, good idea to slow down and pay attention to the caution signs. Or always listen to Speaker Batchelder. <laughs> <laughs> One more point. I thought Republicans were against government ownership of private companies like General Motors and things like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I thought so, too. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this case. All right, let's get to our fourth topic. State lawmakers are considering a change to the state's school voucher program. Under current law, only students in failing schools can apply for state-funded vouchers to, a to attend a private school. State Rep. Matt Huffman wants to open the voucher system up to students in all schools, whether the schools are failing or not. The bill would base the voucher amount on a family's income. Marianne Sharkey, originally the voucher program was designed to, to push poor, poorly performing schools to become better because they would risk losing students. Doesn't this do away with that incentive, if all schools could lose students? Yeah, I mean, I mean in many ways, I mean, from where I'm from, which is in the Cleveland area, I mean, it, it was almost designed for Cleveland um, because no matter how many fixes we tried to do in Cleveland, even including mayoral takeover of the school board, could not seem to fix the Cleveland school system. And we felt that the kids were being condemned to, you know, 
terrible educations, which they really are getting in Cleveland. It's a, it's a horrible graduation rate. It's, it's, it's shameful and sinful. And so I think the voucher system was really put in with a good intent of helping parents who were able to get their kids out of failing school systems. Is it working up there? Um, it is to a certain extent, and it, it is, believe it or not, pretty popular with inner-city school parents. I mean, they, they do like having the opportunity to be able to move their kids around to other schools. Are some of these schools failing? Yes, they are, and some of them are succeeding. I think it, it not only broadens a constituency of people who want to partake in the Choice Program, it broadens a constituency of people who will be opposed to expanding the Choice Program because it now goes after suburban, high-wealth, suburban school districts that are also um, highly functioning. They're, they're successful, and it's going to start going after their economies of scale in places where it is successful. And why would a suburban parent paying high taxes, having their kid go to a nice school, start to want to see those, you know, other students fading away. For the reasons that Marianne just mentioned, charter schools are not a bad idea per se, but only if they're not providing a worse education than the regular schools. And right now, that's what's happening. According to the Department of Education in the state, only 25% of charter schools are rated effective or above, as opposed to 78% of regu regular schools that are. But despite that, we're giving them $710 million a year, a 1,200% increase since the year 2000. That's 11% of the total education budget, but they only educate 5% of the kids. Instead of just giving more money, why don't we do this? Why don't we look at the best practices, figure, look, look at those 25% of the charter schools that, that are doing a good job, figure out what, what they're doing, expand that to other charter schools, the new ones, and let the bad charter schools, the 75%, wither away. But, yeah, but I think both charter schools and uh, traditional public schools, you get into these averages that can be a lot of the charter schools say we're picking up the kids that are in the worst need and therefore, you know, our average is not going to look that good, our graduation Which is rate. What these, the inner city school districts will tell you. Right, exactly. So um, I think that um, Mar Marianne is right that it'll be difficult logistically to figure out, um, and, and Ann said too, but, you know, the it's one of those great ideas, perhaps on paper, that figuring out how on earth are you going to open up, say here in Columbus, you know, the Dublins and the Hilliards that everybody wants to go to or the Upper Arlingtons uh, and take the whole Columbus school system and put them in the suburbs, uh, it's not workable. Great. So. Let's get to our last topic real quick, uh, real quickly. The four Ohio casinos are not even open yet, and already they may not live up to promised revenue projections. The Cincinnati Enquirer reports this week the two gambling companies which will operate the casinos have cut the number of gamblers they expect to accommodate. That means instead of producing $650 million a year for the state, the casinos project as little as $390 million. That's a 40% reduction. Marianne Sharkey, you represent or you have worked with the Cleveland casino uh, developers. Why is this? It, it actually, it's it's more of a ramp up and phase up, phase up, uh, phasing in. Cleveland's going to get a phase one casino in the old Higby building. So the, the so when, by the time it comes online, totally online in 2013, it will reach the revenue projections, and so will probably most of these other casinos. In fact, um, you know this was done by an innovation study, and also the Ohio Department of Taxation agreed with these numbers. So um, the story I think was a little bit misleading because it didn't take into effect the 
that the, there was a phase-in period going on here? If I could just add to that quickly. Uh, as I understand it, it takes about three years for a casino-free area to develop a market, and most of these experts are comparing Ohio favorably with Pennsylvania, which in 2007 opened its first casino, and they're not, Pennsylvania is now the number three gambling market in the country behind Nevada and uh, New Jersey. But I don't, I don't remember hearing phase-in or That's what I was ramp up say. or <laughs> it'll take a little while during the campaign yeah. for the casino. Well, not how they sold it to the voters. <laughs> but in well, fairness. Well, that's, not, that's not quite accurate because if you read the innovation study, mm -hmm. it, it does have you know, different times when the casinos will be coming online and how many table right. games and, and how many machines. How and also at the time we did not have the racinos were not factored into that right. into that study. And the recession was deeper than anybody yeah. thought. We've had a credit <laughs> crunch where the lenders are telling them to go slower. So I mean, the, I mean, in fairness, and I have no dog in that hunt, but in fairness, I think there are some conditions now that weren't present at the time they did the study. No, no toilets or wa running water <laughs> in the Columbus Casino. <laughs> There's another thing. Save on plumbers. We've got to get to our final off-the-record uh, comments, our parting shots. Uh, Marianne Sharkey, you're up first. Well, I was going to say, I think that everybody needs to cool the rhetoric down a little bit about the uh, public employees, um, you know, having gone through and being old enough to have gone through the, you know, student protests and, uh, and seeing uh, James Allen Rhodes be very uh, uh, shamed for some of the words that led to some very ugly things at Kent State and other universities. I think we have to be careful. I think everybody has to watch their rhetoric, and I think we've got to tone it down. Okay. Dale? I think that the uh, public unions uh, believe that they are fighting for their lives. Uh, so I think, as I said earlier, that next week that uh, the demonstrations are going to be larger, uh, much, much larger even than they were this week. Okay. And Julie? I think you might see uh, John Kasich move Mark Kwame to, as his first appointment to the Jobs Ohio board and put someone else in that position. This would so Take care of the whole non-resident thing. <laughs> Kill two birds with one who, stone. Who can sign contracts? <laughs> <laughs> and Anne. I just think cooler heads are going to prevail in the Senate. They'll come to some uh, mediated uh, solution to the collective bargaining issue, and the unions will not like it. Okay. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check us out online. We are on Facebook and we are on Twitter. And if you miss a program, you can see it on our website, wosu.org slash cotr. You can link to our Facebook and our Twitter pages as well. So for our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. <laughs>